You're listening to the Centre Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message, recorded live from our Brighton campus. Yeah, I'm glad to be here with you this morning. It's, it's, good, to, um, it's good to be in the house of the Lord, isn't it? It's good to, good to be able to share um, with you and um, just speak sort of what God's put on my heart um, this morning. And, and it was... To be honest, I did struggle with with an angle for this sermon, and I was uh, I was chatting to Julian on Friday. I couldn't get um, I just couldn't focus. I couldn't get like my head around what I was meant to do, and then ended up just um, I wrote about probably wrote about three quarters of a sermon and went ass oh, rubbish, and um, and started again. But I just I just had to spend time um, in prayer. Really, just had to spend time. Um, seeking God and, and seeking what he's what he's doing it's um it's always good isn't it to just ask what God's doing in, in situations and and I found very much with with this I was I was very much struggling and, and just having to seek God so hopefully he's put something on my heart which will um which will speak to us this morning that's my hope um so we're coming to the end of our genuine faith series we think we've got one more week after this um, and we've been looking at James, and I've got James 5, verses 1 to 12 this morning. So if you've got a Bible, feel free to turn in it um, to James 12, James 5. Don't turn to James 12, it's not there. James 5, verses 1 to 12, and we'll be, we'll be reading that together um, in just a second. And I guess... If you want a title to take away with you, if you want a sort of um, phrase to remember, um, that would be, who do you trust? So who do you trust? That's my sort of title that I've got this morning. And really, when I when I read through it, when I got all the way through the through the 12 verses, the, the last verse stuck out to me where it says, above all. I kind of thought, when it says above all, that's probably something that I need to focus on and need to think about a little bit more. So we'll, we'll have a read through it and then we'll go from there. So James 5, 1 to 12, it says, Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop. Patiently wait for the Lord, for, patiently wait for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. 
The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no, otherwise you'll be condemned. So, a nice cheery, uplifting passage for us this morning. I feel a bit sorry for the for the rich people. Um, no, I kind of when I when I looked at it, there's there's two main sections that are, that are going on. You've got the the bit that probably says something like rich oppressors or warning to the rich oppressors or something in your Bible, and then you've probably got a bit that says patience in suffering. And those are the two main bits. But I add a sort of a third bit, which is that last verse that says, above all. So I, I kind of want to split up into three sections what we've got today. So we've got the, the rich oppressors, we've got the, the patience in suffering, and then we've got the above all section. So what I found... What I found really interesting and what I wanted to bring out of the, this section on the, the rich oppressors, this section that starts off, it's, it's an interesting tone, isn't it? It's, it's, a kind of, um, it's a kind of harsh tone when you read it and you go, wow, this is pretty harsh. This is like there's a lot of stuff going on in here and I wouldn't like to be on the receiving end of this letter if I, if I knew that this was me. If I came up against this section, I knew this was me. I probably wouldn't want to be on the receiving end of that. And um, there's a, it's a very similar tone um, to the end of last week's um, passage. Um, James gives us this, this phrase, now listen you. If you look in, um, in chapter 4, verse 13, you'll see that same phrase. It says, now listen you. And so he's, he's kind of, he's shifted his tone from when he's talking to the brothers and sisters, when he's talking to the general assembly of the church, and he's shifting his tone, and he's kind of addressing a different group. And I was reading, and some, some of the commentators were, were saying there's, there's a definite shift in what he's talking about and who he's talking to. And they, um, one of them said that he's kind of taking on like an Old Testament prophet kind of role, where the Old Testament prophets would would sort of speak against all the sin and all the injustice that was going on in the in the town or in the land at the time. And it might not be addressed specifically to the to the group that they'd sent the letter to or set, or they'd written to, but it was addressed to the wider sort of issues that were going on in the um, in the community in the world at the time. And so James is sort of taking on this tone of of going, there's injustice there's corruption in the world there's stuff that is not right and so he here he's talking to the rich people we think um in fact that he's talking to rich landowners because what's what he's talking about is like the the workers who mowed the fields or the workers who sort of worked in the fields and stuff so these people who own the land and they get people to sort of farm their land for them and that kind of thing. And they're, they're not paying the wages, we see that. And they're, they're doing stuff that is not right and is sort of injustice in that sense. And so so that's who this, this bit is, is talking to. And what's interesting, for me at least, is the way that, the, um, the way that it's phrased... 
in that it's it's kind of talking about their wealth and their the stuff that they have is the thing that turns against them. So in verse 2, it says that your wealth has rotted. It says in verse 3 that your gold and silver are corroded. And then in verse 4, it says, the wages you failed to pay are crying out against you. So it's, it's interesting, isn't it? It's not the people, not the people that they didn't pay, but it's the wages that they failed to pay. So it's instead of, instead of um, the people are getting angry and crying out to God, the phrase that he uses here is, the wages you failed to pay the workers are crying out against you. I found that really interesting because what it is, is it's the, it's the thing that they're hoarding and keeping to themselves and putting before God that is actually testifying against them, that's actually crying out against them. It's not, it's not, in a sense, the injustice that they're doing, although the injustice is bad and needs correcting and needs dealing with. It's the fact that they're putting something above trusting in God. They're trusting in their finance. They're trusting in keeping all this stuff to themselves. And they're trusting in, in what they've got. And that's the thing that's, that's corrupting. That's the thing that's crying out to God. That's the thing that's getting in the way of, of an appropriate relationship with God, which brings about justice, which brings about um, sort of peace and, and grace and, and all that stuff that, you know, if you're in, if you're like, I don't think any of us are these, these guys here, like who are exploiting people and all this sort of stuff, but we know that it goes on today. I mean, I could read this passage and it could apply to some of the stuff that's going on in the world. It could be like a, like a newspaper headline or, you know, that kind of stuff. It's like you can, even this, even though this is like 2000 years ago, you, you can see that the same kind of hoarding of wealth and, and rich and sort of injustice and not like sharing with people and not sharing your wealth around kind of still goes on today. And there are people all over the world where, who are just treated so badly because of the injustice of the, the few who are keeping that wealth to themselves. And, you know, Jesus talked so much about wealth and how difficult it was for a rich man to enter the, the kingdom of God. You know, he said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom. And why is that? It's because they're putting something above the position that God ought to be in. They're trusting in something that's of this world rather than trusting the creator of this world. And so then it moves on to the next section. And the next section can kind of feel a little bit weird. That we go from this sort of angry warning to the rich people who are who are oppressing the nation and they're just sort of treating people badly and taking all the wealth for themselves. And then it talks about patience. And I was really confused at first because I was like, it doesn't seem to fit together. I don't really get how the patience section fits. He doesn't like have a nice segue that explains how this thing fits into the other. It just, it's kind of like, 
I don't know. Have you ever have you ever sort of been writing a letter and then you go to, you like halfway through it and then you go to bed and you wake up the next day and you start again and then you read it back and the the bits that join together don't seem to work or w- with an essay or you know whatever or if you've been writing a novel I don't know what people like to do in their spare time. They say everyone's got a novel in them, so I've yet to write mine. Um, anyway, but you can you can feel like you've got this this sort of disconnect and I don't know whether James maybe went to sleep and then carried on the next day but that's what I felt like when I first read it I was like I, don't, I just don't get how it fits together and I, when I was reading some commentaries and stuff it wasn't really coming any clearer to me um, until really I focused on on that verse 12 where it's saying above all and I'll explain why that makes sense in a little bit, but this to to kind of make sense of it for us and to kind of help us fit it together. Um, this phrase about patience, this this section about patience, is about our response, and it's about our response when we're when we're under this kind of suffering, when we're in suffering, but also about our response in general. And this phrase, "Who do we trust?" Because the rich people were trusting in their finance, in the fact that they had stuff and they were exploiting people. And that's what they were putting their their life about. That's what they were putting their trust in. That's what they were making things about. But I feel like what James is saying is they shouldn't be doing that. But your job as a community of believers, as Christians, is to put your trust in God. So in response, it's not to sort of fight against it and rally against it, although there's there's a place for that. But it's to be, in this situation, to be patient. And patience, patience is a wonderful word, isn't it? It's a, it's a word that's easy for us to do, maybe, maybe not. It's, I actually think it's not always easy to have patience. There's sometimes where it's acceptable to be impatient like um, if you're a kid and it's Christmas it's coming up to Christmas and you kind of peel a bit of the wrapping back to see if they got you the, the make of shoes that you actually wanted or if you, they got you the cheap ones um, you know sometimes that's kind of like cute impatience isn't it that's kind of like it's not too bad sometimes I don't know if you're not quite patient enough at a red light and you decide to go a little bit before it changes. Maybe there's not as, as much grace for that kind of impatience. Um, or if you like beeping your horn or whatever. There's situations, we all know there's situations where we can be like, have, as they say, the patience of a saint. And there's situations where we, where we don't. And I think that's probably true for most of us. Um, there was a guy, there was a guy I knew at Bible college and he was absolutely massive, like really tall, big, like big built guy. He used to be, used to work like on the doors in nightclubs and that kind of stuff, you know, really sort of big guy. And he, um, he had in his life not had a lot of patience. And he, he shared this w- with me, you know, in his life, he'd been through phases where he'd not had a lot of patience. And there were certain guys that, Bible college who liked to wind him up because they knew they could wind him up 
and uh, and I think a couple of people got put in a bin once um, when they wound him up too much. But the the as the time went on, he got more and more patient with them. He could deal with the situation. He knew that they were winding him up, and he was trying to deal with being wound up and getting wound up by them. And so I remember chatting to him one time and, and him saying, the worst thing I ever did was pray for patience. Because God's put all these people in my path to make me learn patience. And his, and his recommendation was never pray for patience. So, uh, but it was in jest, you know. It, it, he was learning the, the value of being patient and the difficulty of being patient. And I think... God was probably putting people in his path that was help, were helping him to learn how to do that. Um, I was reading, I was reading Psalm 40, and I've got it, I've got it printed out. But I won't read the whole lot. I think I'll just read the first three verses to us, so you can turn to it or not. It's up to you. But Psalm 40, verses one to three says, "I waited patiently for the Lord." He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. And when I was, so, when I was like looking at patience, this was one of the first things that came to mind. I was like, oh, I waited patiently for the Lord. I remember that. Maybe we did it as like a memory verse or something like that um, when I was younger. But anyway, it came came straight back to my mind, and and I thought there's an interesting um, mix of two words there in the word waiting and the word patience, or I waited patiently, because waiting's one thing. We can we can do waiting, but it doesn't have to be patiently. In our lives, we can we can wait and be anxious, or we can wait um, angrily, or especially if you're at a red light and the person in front of you is stalled, you can definitely wait angrily. Um, maybe we shouldn't do that. You, we can we can wait with different sort of emotions and different ways of actually waiting, and that and I realise that actually. There's a difference between waiting and having patience. There's a difference between just waiting for God to do something, but like just checking your watch and, you know, when's he going to do this? I'm really annoyed. I really want him to get this out of the way or do this out of the other, you know. But to wait patiently is something we really have to work on. I feel like we need the grace of God to do it sometimes. You know, to have that patience is is a difficult thing and that's something that um that David said that he he did he waited patiently for the Lord and it's interesting that the that the result was he lifted me out of the slimy pit he set my feet on a rock put a new song in my mouth and many will see and fear the Lord now that's not straight away because he had to wait patiently he had to wait patiently for the Lord now i don't know whether this is this is true or not, but I wonder whether if he did, if he hadn't have wait, been waiting patiently, would he have carried on waiting? If he was, if he was in the slimy pit and if he was in the mud and mire, as he says, how long did it take 
for God to actually turn to him and hear his cry. If it was a patient shout, it might have taken a while. He might have been in that situation for quite a while before actually God came through and got through that situation and lifted him out of it. Well, the fact is that God did. And God heard his cry and God said that he would and he did what he said. It's quite a confusing phrase. But we can be in that situation, can't we? We can be in a situation where things aren't always going right. Things aren't always working well for us. And that, that's the situation that these people in James found themselves. They're in a situation where James is going, you've got to have patience. And he gives them two reasons for having patience. The first one, he says, because the Lord is coming, the Lord's coming is near. So first, first reason that we should have patience is because Jesus is coming back. And so we should have patience because we know that. And the second reason he gives us is the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. And the, he talks about Job and how God restored things to Job. You, the, the sort of Old Testament um, passage where jo- everything sort of went wrong for Job. Everything in his life, he kind of had everything, lost it all, and then... God restored it all to him later in life, but he, it, it took him a while to get to that point. And so these two reasons, because Jesus is coming back and because God's full of compassion and mercy, are reasons that we should have patience. Now, that doesn't make necessarily patience easy, but what it does say is that we can trust in God because we know that God has the victory. And that's ultimately where where sort of I felt like to go with this is to say Jesus is coming back. We know that. We know that because of the death and resurrection. We know that that promise is true because of the death and resurrection of Jesus and because he said he's coming back. So we have patience in these situations because we're not putting our trust in the things that those rich oppressors are putting their trust in. We're not putting our trust in things that are outside of God's kingdom. We're saying, actually, God's kingdom trumps the kingdom of this world and the way that this world is. And we can put our trust into God. We can put our trust into into him and what he's done because he said he's going to do it. And we know and we've seen that what he says that he's going to do, he does. And he comes through on those promises. And you'll have examples even in your own life of where you've seen God come through on something that you were like, how? How is that even possible? If I were to look, if I were to sort of look ahead, it seemed impossible. But now looking back, I can see God's fingerprint. I can see God's hand over that situation. And my job in that situation was to trust in God. And that involved waiting patiently. And so that's what I think James is, is getting to. And he confirms it when he says this phrase, above all. He says, above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Now, when he says do not swear, he doesn't mean don't use bad language, although we shouldn't use bad language because it's bad. That's why it's called bad language. Um, What he means is swearing in the sense of what we're putting our trust in. You know, I remember kids... Um, in the playground, if they if they were telling me something and and we were like, no, that's not true. We had one lad in my primary school who 
I don't know what he thought was going on, but his parents lived in a castle in the sky, according to him. And um, and I wanted to go around and, and visit his house because I was like, that's pretty impressive. And um, and his phrase was, no, oh, swear, swear on my life or swear on my mum's life or swear on my dog's life or, you know, that kind of phrase to say, I'm definitely telling the truth because I'm swearing on this person or my own life or whatever. And James is saying, you don't need to swear by anything. You don't need to swear by anything because you need to let your yes be yes and your no be no. Why? Because we're putting our trust in God. And so as people, as people of the kingdom, we're saying our guarantee is God. Our guarantee is what God's done, God's sacrifice. Jesus' sacrifice. That's where that's where our trust is. That's where our faith is. That's where our guarantee is. Because I kind of think that 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 phrase "don't swear by anything" kind of goes back to what was going on with the rich oppressors. You know, if they if they want to get a loan out, for example, they go, "Well, you know, I can get this loan because I've got all of this wealth. So if you give me this, you know, I've got all this wealth, so I can pay you back." And I've got all these means of getting more wealth so I can pay you back what I owe you or, or that kind of stuff. They have this kind of guarantee, right? And there's there's all sorts of different guarantees that different groups of people will have that will say, I will come through in this situation. And this is how you're going to know that I'm going to come through in this situation because I'll give you this as a guarantee or, you know, um, oh, I've, I've forgotten my wallet, but I'll give you my car keys and then... I'll go home and get my wallet so that you so that you so that you know I can pay you back because you've got my car keys and and obviously I want to get have my car back that kind of thing it's like we can have these guarantees but James is saying why would you put your your trust in these other in these other things why would you put your trust in these things that are of this world when you put your trust in God above all don't put your trust in anything else. Put your trust in God. So the group that were putting their trust in their own plans in, in chapter 4, who were saying, oh, we're going to go here or we're going to go there and we're going to, we're going to do business here or we're going to do business there, um, or the group who were putting their, their trust in their own riches and their, their oppression of other people and, you know, we're going to, Oh, we're going to hire these workers and we're going to pay them next to nothing, but they need the money, so they'll do the job. And I'll rake in all these profits and all that sort of stuff, and I'll have a good life, and I'll be, I'll be well off, and I'll be wealthy, and you know, I'll buy a, a private island and a jet. They wouldn't have bought a jet in those days, but maybe they would have bought like a, I don't know, a chariot. Yeah, a chariot, or like I was kind of think that, thinking like they could, they could get like two dolphins. And have like wooden skis and have like water skis and that. Maybe that's that wouldn't have worked. I don't know. Anyway, um, we can put our trust in all these different things, but James is saying, wait on the Lord, be patient, put your trust in God because we know that He's the one who who is our guarantor in that sense. He's the one who is who is our Father who is. Uh, is a good God and who has said that he will come through in this situation, in that situation. 
in whatever situation you're going through in your life, we're called to wait patiently on the Lord. That doesn't necessarily mean just sit there and don't do it and go, all right, come on, God, I'm waiting. You know, it, it can involve us doing stuff and we don't have to not do anything because we're waiting patiently. But the point is that to get through the situation, God's going to take us through that situation. He calls us to wait patiently on him. Like David had to wait patiently. He doesn't give us a time frame, David, of how long he was in the mud and mire before God lifted him out and put his feet on the rock. But he does say that he had to wait patiently for it to happen. And sometimes in our own lives, you know, it might be might be five minutes, it might be five years, it might be longer than that. You know, it could be anywhere in between that God's going to resolve this situation. But he says, wait patiently on the Lord. And above all, don't put your trust in something else. Keep your trusting in God. Keep trusting in God because God's going to do it. God's going to guide you through it. You know, those, those Old Testament prophets, they didn't know that Jesus was going to come and was going to transform the world and, and bring about a way of salvation for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles as well and, and, and reform the, the whole system, the whole way of working, the whole sacrificial system, everything, change it, shift it on its head, cause a shift in the, in the way that the world works and who we can put our trust in. They didn't know that when they were warning these people that you, you're doing stuff wrong, but they were trusting in God, that they had a sense of knowing that God's going to come through on this because he says he's going to come through on this. And, it's just, and this is what James is saying. He's saying, why go back to that old way of doing stuff, trusting in all the stuff of the world, trusting in, in all the stuff that we used to trust in before we knew God? Why would you go back to that when you've, you know what trusting in God is? You know what God can bring you through and you know what God can do. And so that's what that I felt that that above all thing was. It's like, above all, let's trust in God. Let's put our faith in God. Let's trust that he can do it. And what he says that he's going to do, he's going to do. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast at Centre Church. One church, passionately loving God and people in Burgess Hill and Brighton. To get the latest news or for any other information, check out our website at www.centrechurch.uk.